Well, let's turn quickly in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to sort of finish up chapter 1. I know it's been a few weeks, but uh, that's okay. We're going to go slowly through the book of 1 Corinthians because we know that in it is a treasure, something that we definitely need. And there's healing and restoration for the church and for each member of God's church. And so we don't want to miss anything. We don't want to go so quickly through the, the word that we don't recognize uh, what God is saying to us. So by the Spirit, we pray that this morning you'll understand what this phrase means, only boast about Jesus. Why is this sort of the, the, the word that comes through uh, in this particular passage? Well, you remember earlier in the chapter, at the beginning there, Paul has heard, gotten word, he's not in Corinth anymore, but he's gotten word that this church that he loves dearly is now starting to split apart. There's divisions within the church. There's some people that are saying, you know, we follow this guy, and other people say, no, we follow this guy, and, and there's all kinds of, of, of trouble that's brewing, and Paul, because of his love, and God, because of his love for the church, wants to bring them back together in unity. So, I want you to take a moment with me and just sort of go into the art world. I'm not an artist, but some of you artists are going to perk right up right now um, because I want to talk about something and show you a few pictures. This is called junk art. Ever heard of junk art? Well, you take random pieces of junk and make art out of them. And so you can take little buttons and, and little scraps of, of, of paper and little things that were going to be thrown in the trash, and you can form them into beautiful pieces of art. So what is this, this connection? Uh, I, I read about this and I thought, this is, this is fascinating. This is so good for us because junk art tries to demonstrate with different kinds of material and different kinds of objects, things that would be thrown away, tries to demonstrate something, tries to take it, whether it's a painting or a sculpture of, of some sort and work it into something beautiful. Something ordinary or something that was going to be thrown out, being taken by an artist and turned into something beautiful. Now, that takes some skill. I don't think if we had piles of junk here this morning and you all had 10 minutes to make on some junk art, I don't think anything would look like this buffalo. I love this buffalo. This is like awesome looking, right? See, junk art is amazing because the artist takes little scraps of wire or wire mesh, buttons, old hubcaps pieces of metal that, that don't fit anything anymore, and works them all together into a beautiful, even realistic-looking piece of art. So you know, something about junk art is that you never give the glory for the art to the junk, right? The junk was just junk. So who made it beautiful? The artist, right? I want you to see the connection there. Because for us, it's important for us to understand that if you're an old hubcap or an old random piece of scrap metal rusting in the backyard, God can make something beautiful of your life. Now, he will combine you with other pieces of junk to make that beautiful thing. This is a good picture of the church for us. In other words, you don't give glory to the individual component, which is what was happening here in 1 Corinthians. Oh, I follow Apollos. I follow Paul. I follow Peter. Right? They were giving glory to a particular piece of junk, 
instead of looking at the beauty of what God has created in the body of Christ through Jesus Christ. You don't give glory to the individuals. You can only give all the glory and the honor to the artist. God is the artist behind his work. When we see his work, the glory doesn't go to the work. That junk didn't form itself, contrary to evolutionary theory that they teach out there. That didn't form itself. Some intelligent design had to be put into that to make that buffalo, to put those pieces together in just the right way that they could demonstrate the beauty of that piece of art. So I'm using this illustration to start with because I want you to see where this corrective, this prescription for health is necessary. When we begin to accent one particular person or one particular gift over another, because this is what's happening in, in, the, in the church of Corinth, we start to distort the whole reason God created it in the first place. We need to see the whole picture not just the individual piece, the little button or the little piece of scrap metal or the little thing. We need to see the whole picture because God is like a genius sculptor. He's the artist who uses basic, very seemingly insignificant material and fashions that material into something beautiful. And all the glory can only go to Jesus, to God. We didn't do it. God did it. Even as beautifully as we were led in worship here this morning, that was a work of God. That was not a work of the individuals, right, Eric? It's, it's, it's a work of God that he can bring us together and, and bring us into a place of worship with different gifts at work. Yes, but we join in and give our glory to God because God is the only one who should be boasted about. Now, to boast is to talk excessively about something. If you're going to boast about your team, you talk excessively about your team. You buy their jersey. You go to all their games. You talk to everybody about the game before it happens. You talk to them after the game, after it happens. You're just boasting about your team. Well, the only one, God's word tells us, who is worthy of all that boasting and excessive talking and attention is Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. And he takes us as individual pieces, broken pieces, really, and fashions us into something beautiful. In fact, Ephesians 2.10, the perfect example. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. This is in the New Living Translation. We are God's workmanship is the old way of saying it. But He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us a long time ago to do. He has a purpose in our lives. And it's not to draw attention to our lives, but to draw attention to his life in us, his life through us and through the ministry that takes place through his church. So this morning, as we look at 1 Corinthians for a few minutes here, I want you to think about God being that perfect junk artist. He's able to take anything and anyone and to bring them into his plan, his perfect and beautiful plan to bring salvation and restoration to the world. So I hope you understand that when I talk about God being a junk artist, it's not a derogatory term. He's not junk. He takes junk 
and makes it into something beautiful. And so that's why he is the specialist who uses junk like our lives and turns it into something beautiful for his praise and for his glory. Only him. Only he deserves the glory for our lives. So in our passage this morning, I want you to learn two things quickly here with me this morning. Two things. Number one is, I'll I'll just read the first verse there, verse 26 of our passage this morning. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 26 down to the end there. It says, brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Consider your calling. Let's think about this for a moment. Some of us were a loose button, an old paper clip, a rusty bucket. Where did we come from? We were pretty useless in our sin. In fact, we were pretty worthless in our sin until God came and gave us worth. He gave us value. He rescued us from our sin and placed value on us through his son, Jesus Christ. Remember, earlier in this chapter, the church was having problems, and that's why Paul is addressing this problem, because they were dividing over the leader that they thought was better than the other leaders. So Paul challenged them to unite around Christ and the power of his death on the cross. So now, what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church is, says, look at your past, consider your calling. When he says, brothers and sisters, consider your calling, Look at the people around you in church. Look at the people who form this church, this this local church. Look who God has called. So that's what he's saying. Look who God has called. And then he goes on. Not many were wise from human perspective. Not many were wise from human perspective. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Do you know that the early church was made up of slaves, bond servants? The Roman Empire had an estimated two-thirds of its population in some type of bondage, in some type of servitude. Some who had just been conquered nations and brought back to, to work in the fields and to work in the households. Others who had fallen into debt and had to sell themselves into, into servanthood so that they could work off their debt. Up to two-thirds of the population was made up of people like that. So when the Christian message came to the people, it came to the common people. It came to the workers. It came to the workers in the field and the workers in the, in the factories. There weren't factories, were there? In the marketplaces, right? It came to them first and eventually trickled up into those households and up into some of the, the upper. But initially here at the beginning, the people who were, who were chosen by God were, were average, everyday people. Those who were of noble birth would think they were worthless people. So he's saying not many of you were the smart ones. Not many of you graduated from Harvard or Princeton or Yale. Not many of you were powerful when you were called by God. You weren't an influential person, an influencer. You were just an average worker, an average person. 
Not many of you were movers or shakers in society. Not many of you came from well-established or prestigious noble families. You're just everyday Joe and Jane. It's kind of what he's saying. And you may have been worse than that. Instead, the scripture goes on to say, so since none of you were that type of person, instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Verse 28, God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something. Now, this isn't a riddle. Just follow the logic so that no one may boast in his presence. So that no one may boast in his presence. So what he's saying about the boasting that is going on, I'm with Paul, I'm with Apollos, I'm on his team, I'm on her team, you know, all that boasting, what he's saying is, who do you think you are? You think that you're really something, don't you? But you're not. Actually, God chose you because you're foolish. God chose you because you're weak. God chose you because you're lowly and despised. Those things are not amazing. And you say, why? Why did God choose me if I'm not amazing? Well, because God is amazing. And God chooses in such a way to bring glory to his amazingness. He wants to be the center of the universe because he is the center of the universe. And he wants the world to see him, not all the people in the way. And unfortunately, a lot of people get in the way. They step into his light, into his glory spotlight, and they try to get a little bit on themselves. They try to get a little bit famous. They try to get a little bit popular. They try to get a little bit of that glory on themselves. The problem with that is you're stealing from God. You're taking the glory that only he deserves, and you're putting it into your own life, and it's not pretty. It's ugly. It's arrogant. It's rude. It's all those things in 1 Corinthians 13 that love is not. Love is not. You see, the point is this. God chooses in such a way to bring all the glory to himself. It's not that none who are powerful and none who are rich or none who are wise can be part of the church. Of course, there are some. So that's why he has to say, not many of you are, because maybe there's one or two people now in the audience who come from a nice family or have a good education. Well, good for you, right? But generally, he's saying, not many of you are that type of person. Not many of you are spectacular, amazing people, right? He chooses the people who are not powerful to show his power. He chooses the people that are not wise to show his wisdom. Because if it was our wisdom, how would anyone know God? If it was our power, how would anyone see God? They'd only be looking at us. People, our culture, and the Christian culture that is built within and around this culture is wrought with some of this rottenness. 
people who have made themselves famous in Jesus, but made themselves famous and taken from God the fame and the glory that only he deserves. Now let's remember, God chooses the rusty hubcaps, the wire, the trash, the pieces of junk that nobody looks up to so that God may have all the praise and glory. Only God deserves your praise. Only God deserves the glory, the focus, the, the, the awe that can be given when you connect yourself to his grace and, and receive from him the forgiveness and the, the washing and the cleansing. See, 1 Corinthians one twenty nine says it straight, so that no one may boast about themselves or anyone else in his presence. When you're in the presence of the almighty God, how can you be boasting about yourself or anyone else? That's pathetic. Here's God, all loving, all gracious, all merciful, all powerful, and you're going to talk about someone else? You're going to spend your time and attention on someone else? So that no one can boast about his or her accomplishments, his or her position, his or her wisdom in the wisdom of God. So is there anyone who can boast in the church? Really, no. Nobody should boast in the church. Because God delights in using simple, foolish, ordinary people to bring glory to himself. The point is, and I hope you will not forget, is that Paul is saying, why are you guys fighting and boasting about people and about yourselves as if you're somebody? Look at your beginnings. Look where you came from. God did not choose you because you were strong or mighty or noble or wise according to these worldly standards. He chooses the simple, the simple things and puts them together in an amazing way. The body of Christ, formed by Christ and his sacrifice for us. So it is a gift from God. It is from his one and only son that you can become anything to God. Because otherwise you're nothing. Until he says, oh, I want you. I'm going to value you. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to cleanse you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to give you a hope and a future. I'm going to do all these things. Even though you don't deserve it, that's what I'm going to do. Because that's the kind of God I am. So he became wisdom. We became wisdom from God. Not because we earned it, but because he chose to give it to us. Now, I want to just go over three words before we, we, we ask Eric to come back up here in a few minutes. I want you to look at this last part of uh, verse, well, let's look at verse 30. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus. So don't think you did something to get to Christ. Christ came and got you. Now, often we get that mixed up because, you know, we have altar calls or we have times when we say, well, re repeat this prayer after me or whatever. But God was already calling you. God was drawing you. God, by his Holy Spirit, was making a way for you to find him. God is the one who rescued you. So that verse says, it is from him that you are in Christ Jesus. In other words, that's the gift. Who became wisdom from God for us. Christ 
became the wisdom from God for us. He is the one who made the way. And then we have this, this little section with these three words. He is our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. And the last verse says, in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. He is our righteousness. So what is righteousness? Righteousness is one who gets it always right. Now, you might get some things right. You might get a 75 on that quiz or that test. You might get a 99 on that test, but you never get it all right. You might get a hundred on one particular test, but then you take another test and you flunk, right? So, so we are not the ones who are righteous. Christ gave his righteousness to us because he was always right. So we have to remember that. It's the polar opposite of being always wrong, being sinful, always missing the mark. Christ always gets a bullseye. You're always one side or the other. You're not quite there yet. We're being sanctified, sanctified, and that's the next word, right? This, this word, sanctified, if you look it up in general, just in the dictionary, it means the state of proper functioning, all right? So let's be honest. Let's be humble. Most of us were pretty screwed up without Christ. We were not proper functioning human beings. In fact, some of us didn't act like human beings at all. We acted like something else. When Christ came and rescued you and gave you his righteousness, he began a process of sanctifying you, of teaching you what you were made for, teaching you why God created you in the first place. You were created to glorify God. You were created to live for him and to tell others about him. So the connection here is, see this, this pair of eyeglasses in the picture and the pair of pen, the pen over there? The eyeglasses are not a paperweight, even though they're holding that page down on the, they're not a paperweight. They're made to be put on your eyes so that you can see better. The pen, its proper functioning is to write something, not to be put on a shelf and to say, oh, look at the beautiful pen. The pen is gorgeous. The pen. There used to be these pens. I graduated high school and college. They'd give you like a little gold pen. It's in a junk drawer now, if it's anywhere. It's probably thrown out by now. But, you know, it's like, oh, the gold pen, you get a graduation. You know, it's like, oh, come on. You can't give me something better than that. But we don't take a pen and sort of make a monument out of it. We use it to write things. It has a purpose. It has a place in, 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 the, in, the, in the, the plan of God, right? It has a place. So as human beings are sanctified, they begin to discover more and more of who God has made them to be and live according to God's design for their lives, for the purpose that he has created them. They discover their gifts. They begin to use those gifts to bless others and to give glory to God. In other words, to being more like God and less like their sinful self. Their character begins to change. And because of Christ, we now can have that life change. We are not trapped because of our past. Even if you were a pen being used to hold up you know, a, 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 a window that was broken or something, like you were being used for the wrong purpose, God has redeemed you, will take that past, separate you from it, and put you into the right purpose for your life. 
Do you believe that? That is sanctification. And lastly, redemption. So the dictionary actually defines redemption this way. It is the action of saving or being saved from sin, error, or evil, or I would say, or all three. It's the idea of being rescued from. It's an action of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment or in clearing a debt. The message of the New Testament is the announcement that Jesus of Nazareth is the fulfillment of Israel's messianic hope and promise and the promise for the whole world. The long-awaited one has come. He has arrived. And deliverance is now taking place. We are being rescued now. Today might be the day you're rescued, but we are being rescued in the present time. We're not still waiting for that rescue, even though we are waiting for his second coming. We are waiting only for the fulfillment of all the promises. You may already have been rescued. So the point is this, and I want to wrap this up and get to the last point so that Eric can come up here and share a little bit with us this morning. The point is God takes junk, insignificant, foolish, weak, despised people, and pours his blessing onto them, giving righteousness and sanctification and redemption to them so that they may become his masterpiece, so that all the glory for our lives and through our lives and for our church and for, the, for anything that we accomplish is all given to him. So, Paul's second point is, look at your boasting. Be honest. Where's it coming from? So, Paul says this, look at your boasting. In light of where you are now, compared to where you came from, And what you will become, look at what you're boasting about. Do you dare boast in man, in yourself, when it is God who does all of that for us? He does it all. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. So don't boast about human achievement. Don't boast about your gifts. Don't boast about how eloquent you are. Instead, let the one who boasts Boast in the Lord. Talk excessively about. That's what boasting means, to talk excessively about. So look at the power of this message. Because the power of the gospel is the power to totally change our lives. From living purposeless lives to living lives full of purpose and meaning. So in this series which we call God's prescription for spiritual health. Here it is. The diagnosis is this. We boast too much in mankind, man or woman, and that's pride. Boasting is pride, right? God's prescription for us to live, to live healthy lives is to only boast in God, which brings about unity in the body of Christ. Because as, you, as soon as you think you're better than other people, Guess what? You've, you've caused distance or division in the church. Even when you think you're worse than other people, you can cause division in the church. God has called all of us equally through the grace of Christ. Not one of us earned it, and not one of us deserves it, but He, by His grace, has given it to us. 